Well, thank you, Brad and Steve, uh, for such diligence and for such integrity, such ministry-mindedness, uh, not just Brad and Steve, but really all of our leaders, all those on the finance team, all of those who serve as family group shepherds, but especially thank you, Brad and Steve, for leaving me 21 minutes to preach. Um, we sort of had that planned, just so you know. It is a great joy to talk to you this morning about wholehearted, generous giving because you have proven to be a wholehearted, generous church. And as you've seen from today, there are moments, there are times, chapters during our, the life of our church where the giving is more voluminous than at other times, and more recently, it's not so much. And so... Just know that the motive behind today's sermon is nothing other than to give you a reminder from Scripture in a time during which we're exposing you to the finances of our church so that you'll understand and embrace all the more the ministries of our church. Ministry requires money, and uh, you have displayed the fact that you understand that quite well because you have given in ways that reflect faithfulness as Brad and Steve showed this morning in the presentation. I want to start by saying this. Um, maybe one of the most important things that is often under sound biblical teaching overturned is the misconception about the tithe. Not simply because that frees you up to give less, but because it frees you up to give joyously. Many years I was under the impression that the tithe was required. The tithe was an Old Testament mandate, and it wasn't just 10%. Tithe means 10%, but there was much more to it than that, such that an Old Testament Israelite was required to give somewhere in the neighborhood of 33 and a third percent. And you say, oh, that sounds like what I give to the government plus what I give to the church. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. It was a national tax plus their giving to the Levitical priests. And so we are not far off from that today. So when you have been taught by a pastor that you must give 10%, you've been taught wrong. I don't want to uh, go into the details behind his motive because I don't know him. I just know that that's wrong. And so uh, when you have looked at this closely in the Scripture, you're freed up to give with wholehearted generosity. And that's really what we see in our text this morning. What I want to do at this point is just go ahead and read to you the entire passage, and then we'll work our way back through it. So we're reading from Exodus 35, verse 4, through 36, verse 7. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet, yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. 
Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light." and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goats, hair or tanned ram's skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and the anointing oil for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft." And he has inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahimash of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Bezalel and Oholiab And every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. 
And they received from Moses the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. What if your bill collectors all said to you, you know, you decide how much to give us. You just kind of think through it and determine in your heart what you think would be best. That is precisely what God told the Israelites with regard to this offering. Quite different from what Aaron required of the people when he influenced them to give their gold so that they could establish a false god by way of melting the gold down and producing the idolatrous calf he demanded that they give. On the other hand, Moses, via God, said, you give because you are generous. That was the whole idea, was that there would be giving based upon the giving spirit, the generous, willing heart attitude of those who desired to give. I want to give you five reasons for why we are doing a renovation. These aren't in your notes, by the way. This is bonus. Five reasons for why we're asking you to give to a building fund. Five reasons, really, for why we've printed this new giving envelope with the designated offering uh, line items in it. First, we're out of room. You say, well, I see a few empty chairs this morning. You actually see quite a few empty chairs this morning, but that's not normal. There are days where there are very few empty chairs to be found in here. We need more space. We're going to need more space. So we're out of room for us, but we need more room for visitors. It's not unusual. You don't see it so much as I do when someone comes in the back and they look around and they don't know what to do. By God's grace, some of you are very kind and you're perceptive, you're sensitive, and you stand up and you go help them find a seat. Uh, but more and more, that's going to be happening. So number one, we're out of room for us. Number two, we're really out of room for visitors. Number three, we prefer to not have two services. You probably have been involved in a church in the past that had two worship services. It's not wrong to do that, but in my mind, it's just not best for the simple reason I don't want to pastor two churches. You say, well, how would that be pastoring two churches? Well, the truth is it wouldn't, but it would sure seem like it. Because what takes place in a worship service for us is really the collection of the whole body other than a handful of folks who are serving in the children's ministry. So as much as possible, we've said we want everybody together, the collective body meeting together. We don't want to have two services if we can avoid it. That's not to say that one day we won't, but we want to avoid that if we can. Four, for your kids and grandkids. That's why we want to do more financially and do more to provide more room because your children and one day your grandchildren will be looking back on this and having some kind of financial campaign thanking the Lord for you 
for what you have done to be faithful to him for their sake. There's much around the corner with regard to what the Lord has uh, prepared us for, is preparing us for ministry-wise, and it has very much to do with the evangelistic ministries to our children and one day to our grandchildren. Fifth, for the Endland Empire and the uttermost part of the world. If we are not regularly, passionately, strategically committed to reaching the lost in our community and throughout the world, we don't qualify as a New Testament church. And as you know, we've had a flood of opportunity in missions over the last couple of years, and the Lord just continues to bless us in that way. As I said, it would not be dissimilar to what the Lord has provided for the Israelites if a bill collector told you, just pay whatever you think would make sense, whatever you desire in your heart. At this point in the life of Israel, uh, there has been much to overcome. Israel has been grossly wayward specifically the incident with the calf, the golden calf. God had given a number of warnings and promises throughout Exodus 23, 24. Israel's response ultimately is, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And God might have said, we'll see. And what we ended up seeing is that there was some effort to maintain that mindset And yet, the Lord saw that the Israelites were not faithful to that commitment. Chapter 34, verse 7, it reads, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And not too long after that, they melted down gold into a molten calf, worshipped it, and insisted that it just sort of came out that way. Why? Because they became impatient in Moses' absence while he was meeting with the Lord. After the incident with the calf, God showed Israel just how serious he is about his holiness, about idolatry, and about God being the one and only focus of their worship. He punished them by killing a significant portion of them and so doing. Israel responded again with the statement that they would do everything that the Lord had commanded of them. Exodus 34, verse 11, Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. God's reminding them to obey everything he has told them to obey. So I'm going to walk you through, just by way of some summary statements, the passage that I just read through with you, Exodus 35, and then those few short verses into chapter 36. What you see here, number one, is the generous will give willingly. This is a command to do it. It's a command, really, for the generous to give generously. It's, listen, at this point, it's not a command for the stingy, for the unfaithful to give generously. Why? Because that's like telling your children to say they're sorry when they're not. It's commanding something that would not be true or honest. And so the Lord doesn't do that. 
He gives the right heart attitude. He speaks of motive. Again, if you were to leave here with any one passage burned into your heart, it ought to be verse 5. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. So he's telling Moses to tell the Israelites, speak to the faithful. This is really what ministry is like. Most of what I say does not fall upon deaf ears because faithful people listen and faithful people grow. Where it falls on deaf ears is with those who refuse to be committed to Christ, refuse to be committed to the church, but want some sort of pat on the back or an affirmation for dabbling with the church. This is the same reality in the Old Testament, in the assembly of God in the Old Testament. There were those who were faithful, who heard the word of God and responded faithfully. And then there were those who were hard-hearted. And every time they heard the word of God, their hearts only got harder, even in their efforts to salve their consciences by listening to it. The generous will give willingly, and it will be generously. Why? Because they're generous. This is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of motive. In Exodus 25, verse 2... The Lord says, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. Friends, this is the precursor to New Testament giving. This is why you will never hear us telling you, you have to give this much. We, we have no authority to do that. I have no compulsion to do that. I have no reason to do that. I can give you some ideas based upon patterns in the Old and the New Testament, but the mandate to give is just what I read to you. It is that when your heart desires to give, you give. But the faithful believer desires to give. He wants to give generously. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 is really the New Testament parallel to this. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know from the Old Testament that God looks on the heart. Man looks at the appearance. God looks on the heart. Your giving really is an expression of your heart attitude, how you give, what you give, when you give, why you give. All of that is an expression of what's in your heart. You, and really for the most part only you, can measure your spiritual condition by how you give. Do you give generously? Then you're generous. Do you give under compulsion? Do you have a hard time doing it? Is it difficult for you? Then you're not generous. Well, number two, point number two, the skilled will work faithfully. And while we don't have time to go through all these details, you can see this is a lot of detail. Why is there so much detail here? For the same reason that when God commanded that the ark be built, he gave detail. God is a God of precision. He's a God of order. I've been criticized through much of my life for being so detail-focused. Let me tell you, I am not naturally detail-focused. It does not come easy for me. But I have to be because the Word of God is precise. 
the Word of God, especially Hebrew, it's a science. It's an art, but it's also a science. But it is what it is. It's right. It's pure. It's true. It's given to us in God's inerrant expression of it, and we must be faithful to it. Things like this, where you see how the craftsman is commanded to do things with such exacting precision, is expressive of God's command for your life and my life. Now listen, don't let this take you into some idolatrous obsession with keeping all your pencils sharpened just perfectly. That's not the idea. And by the way, don't call it OCD. Call it what it is. If it's idolatry, it's idolatry. If it's faithfulness, it's faithfulness. Bag the worldly terms and think biblically and speak biblically. Be faithful to the details that God's called you to. And if you go beyond those details, there might be some idolatry involved. But the skilled will work faithfully. You see this all throughout this text. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. What kind of craftsman? A skilled craftsman. I sent a study guide to you this morning, and it's different from any study guide we've ever done, and then it's a workshop kind of study guide, meaning you don't have to do anything before you get to your family group. It's going to be a group effort. You're going to walk through this, and one of the things you're going to see is that there's a term that's used in a very short passage, and it's used repeatedly, and it's used for the purpose of you understanding just how precise God is, just how much he wants you to be committed to the details. You don't want to be the person who doesn't see the forest for the trees. And the person who is so committed to the details that he misses the point of the details is not adhering to this idea of being a skilled worker who works faithfully. In our renovation, one thing I know is that things are being done well. After Ironman yesterday, Craig Danielson came up to me and he said, hey, let me show you about this little ball thing, I forget what he called it, that he's using to cause a ball and catch. Thanks, Craig. Whatever. So (laughs) Craig says, let me show you this. And if you know anything about Craig, he's detail-focused. Things need to be done right. And uh, the more we don't do things right, the more we have to do them again. You know, measure twice, cut once. You know that phrase? Well, I'm thankful for the men and the women who over the years have been committed to doing things in our building, not for the purpose of some ostentatious presentation, but for making things functional, that they would work well, that they would work, they would be done right. When you put something in, you put it in level. You don't put it in crooked because that's a distraction. You know, when you paint the room, you paint it so it all looks the same rather than streaks up and down the walls, right? We've done the best we can to do things with excellence because this is the example that the Lord has provided for us. Well, third, the willing will serve corporately. You might call this corporate unity or corporate service, corporate involvement, the body that has one or two or three stragglers that just kind of hang out every now and then. That's not corporate unity. That's completely different from what you see in this passage. Verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and 
everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. You see the same thing as you work through this passage with those who worked skillfully. Everybody contributed. Everybody gave. Everybody did their part. Well, number four, the Lord will provide perfectly. And I love this. Did the Spirit of God indwell the Old Testament believer? Yes. Not in the same way that he does today after Pentecost. There's a fuller expression of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit since Pentecost. But here, the Spirit of God indwelt this worker. Why would the Spirit of God not indwell and even fill those who are working in Sweet Five? to make it the best it can be without going overboard. These workers were gifted with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship. Why? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. You can't just do stuff. When you communicate with someone and your expectation is that they're going to interpret because you don't care about how you spell, what are you saying to that person? I don't really care if you understand it or not. You take an hour and figure it out. It only took me 30 seconds to write it, and I'm off doing other stuff. See, that mindset is not the mindset of the faithful Old Testament or New Testament believer. We must be committed to doing things in a way that reflects God's perfect provision God has given us giftedness. The men and I went over the spiritual gifts Wednesday night and Saturday morning. Those gifts are given evenly. The Spirit of God distributes them as He determined to do so. And so you have this perfect diversity and unity working themselves out into harmony. As every person, every member in the body does his role, the body limps a whole lot less than it otherwise would. So the Lord will provide perfectly as he certainly has proven himself to do here well fifth the faithful will give overflowingly the faithful will give overflowingly overabundantly this is really amazing these were ex-slaves who had nothing but what they brought with them from their slavery in Egypt do you know that What had they gained since then? Whatever they had, they brought with them out of slavery and they gave over abundantly. Out of their poverty, much like the Thessalonians in their giving, they probably didn't give, they certainly didn't give as much as they otherwise would have if they hadn't poured it into the molten calf. How tragic. Here their hearts are changed. They want to give, but because they've squandered so much, they can't give the way they would like. This is what is happening in so many Americans' lives, so many Christian Americans' lives, because the way of the American is to have lots of debt. Somebody gets saved, and they say, wow, I'd sure like to be able to give to the renovation, but I've got $60,000 in debt. What do I do? Well, you need counseling. 
And I really mean that, and we can provide that. We can help you think through that. What do you do with all that debt? Do you just stop giving? Do you, do you not give at all? Do you focus on your debt? Do you focus on your giving? What do you do? We can help you think through that. There's no black and white answer to that. But the reality is that these ex-slaves gave out of their poverty with an overabundant, overflowing reality. And the Lord used their generosity. He used it so that the tabernacle would be built for His glory. We've examined God's perspective on giving. Why? So that we would give with wholehearted generosity for His glory. There's so many questions we could and probably really should ask. But but let me ask you, is this what you desire is this where your heart is? Is your heart one of generosity? You know, do you have a compulsion to want to give, give, give to the Lord for ministry? I don't think there's any question as to whether or not when you give to the Anchor Bible Church, it's going to be used for eternal purposes. You've watched a significant number of faithful, legitimate missionaries I had an interesting conversation with a guy just uh, this last week who is deeply involved in a church that is committed to false missions. For a long, long time, they have these big missions conferences, and my experience over the years in being there was that most of these missionaries are not even Christians. Why do I say that? Because they had no clue what the gospel is. My practice with every one of them was to ask them, what is the gospel? And one in a period of six years, answered that question properly. All the others literally had no clue, no idea. Well, let's assume for a moment that there's a similar scenario like that, except that the 18 or 20 missionaries that I'd interviewed over those years were actually Christians. Then the question is, are they legitimately missionaries? Or are they just people who are getting some language training and they're going somewhere else to just go share the gospel? That's not missions. Missions involves training nationals so that they then can pour into their community, into their culture, and see people come to know the Lord in churches. Churches will be planted as a result of that. See, that's what we're doing. We shouldn't be prideful about that. We ought to simply say that's normal New Testament missions. Us being committed to that does not make us special. It just means we're faithful. And by being faithful, the Lord has provided you and me, tremendous opportunities. You saw that our missions giving went up by over 300% from 2016 to 2017. And as Steve said, we need to excel still more because we're having increasing opportunities to give to legitimate missionaries. I don't know what you give. When we planted the church, I told the other men, I don't want to know what anybody gives. That would prevent me from any kind of temptation to think one way or the other about anybody's giving. I know what everybody gives in a general way because I just watched it with you. But you don't have to be concerned about what I'm thinking about your giving because I don't know what it is. But you need to be concerned about what you think about it. Do you deeply desire to give generously with a willing spirit in such a way that God's glory is on display. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 3, When you give to the poor, do not let your left hand show what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, 
and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's the Spirit. That's the idea. Giving not for man to see, not to impress anyone. Can you imagine that we might give so much that Steve or Brad or I would stand before you and say, enough. We don't have room to keep it all. Just keep it to yourself, okay? We don't have the ability to keep track of it at this point. Just hang on to it. We'll get back to you. That's really what was going on because the heart of the people was a heart of giving faithfully and overflowingly. So these questions then I think are appropriate. Will you give with generous willingness? Will you work with skilled faithfulness if you have the opportunity to work on our renovation or whatever you do? Maybe it's cleaning bathrooms in your family group. I've often thought it's not the humble man who will clean toilets. It's the humble man who will clean toilets well. That's the difference. The one who thinks rightly about the details. Will you serve corporately? In other words, will you call others to faithful service, meaning you're giving and you're working? Will you trust the Lord to provide perfectly? And will you give faithfully and overflowingly? In September of 2011, 22 remarkably generous people became the Anchor Bible Church. Some of the most courageous people I've ever known who said, we want a church, and we want to be faithful to the Lord in that church. And then our first Sunday, we had 44 people. We doubled immediately. And what the Lord began to do was to nurture that same spirit of faithfulness, generosity, consistency, hard attitudes of service, love for one another, sacrifice for one another. And one day, you know, maybe 20 or 30 or 40 or 100 years from now, hopefully there'll be some document with a little bit of the history of the Anchor Bible Church And those people will look back and say, because of those who went before us, because of those who were faithful, we too will be faithful to be the Anchor Bible Church that's committed to missions, that's committed to children's ministry, that's committed to evangelism, but in doing so is committed to giving with an overabundance. May we together be generous because our Savior has been generous to us. Father, we're grateful for your word, and while we have had the opportunity this morning to hear how you've been faithful to us, uh, help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Lord, I thank you for the people of the Anchor Bible Church, those who were there on day one and those who have been here for years and those who have been here for only a few weeks. Lord, we want to we be a people that reflects the over-generosity, the over-abundant giving of the Israelites in the day when you blessed them by establishing a covenant, promising them much good and being faithful to that even while they failed. Lord, we acknowledge our failures we trust you and we ask that you might help us 
to be a willing, giving people, that your glory would be on display and we would see people come to know Christ as Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.